This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, July 21st. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. Will Black communities be negatively impacted if they defund their police forces? Senator Ted Cruz of Texas joins me on the podcast today to discuss. Plus, we talk about why he was sanctioned by China and why that's good news. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. If rioters decide to target federal buildings in other parts of the country besides Portland, Oregon, the Department of Homeland Security is prepared to send federal officials to those cities to protect government property. Ken Cuccinelli, the acting deputy Homeland Security Secretary, joined CNN's New Day on Monday and explained that the actions taken in Portland by the Department of Homeland Security are not only within the department's rights, but it is their duty to protect federal property. So the violence in Portland was going on for four or five, six weeks before we got intelligence about um, planned attacks on federal facilities where we backed up the Federal Protective Service, which is responsible for protecting the courthouse there and other federal buildings uh, with other DHS law enforcement components. And um, that and we've been there ever since wearing, by the way, the very same uniforms um, every day uh, and the crowd has seen them every day uh, marked and so forth. Uh, but if we get the same kind of intelligence in other places about threats to other federal facilities or officers, we would respond the same way. And uh, we have a responsibility, the Department of Homeland Security is charged with protecting these facilities. And when they're unusually threatened, we advance uh, extra resources. So it's really as simple as that. And as we've seen all around the country where there's solid cooperation, which is a question mm -hmm. in Portland All because right. of how the civil authorities there want to run things. We see more peace advanced as responsible policing uh, advances as well. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler said on CNN's State of the Union over the weekend that the president has a complete misunderstanding of cause and effect. What's happening here is we have dozens, if not hundreds, of federal troops descending upon our city, and what they're doing is they are sharply escalating the situation. And the mayor added, their presence here is actually leading to more violence and more vandalism, and it's not helping the situation at all. They're not wanted here. We haven't asked them here. In fact, we want them to leave. A new vaccine for coronavirus is showing positive results. While there are currently 17 vaccines being tested around the world, the new results showed Oxford University and drug company AstraZeneca's candidate vaccine, AZD-1222, led to strong immune responses for nearly two months in a trial that continues to track more than 1,000 healthy adults. A second dose given to 10 patients seems to have boosted their immune response further without adding significant side effects, according to a paper published Monday in The Lancet, per USA Today. The son of New Jersey District Court Judge Esther Sales and New York City Attorney Mark Andel was shot and killed on Sunday night. 
A gunman opened fire on the family's New Jersey home a little after 5 p.m. Sunday, killing 20-year-old Daniel Andel and critically wounding Sale's husband, 63-year-old Mark Andel. The father and son were standing on the front steps of their home when the shooting occurred. The shooter appears to have posed as a FedEx delivery driver, but the FBI is still investigating the identity of the perpetrator, a New York City attorney who was found dead in his apartment later from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, is a suspect in the case. The House of Representatives honored former Congressman John Lewis of Georgia with a moment of silence on Monday. Congressman Sanford Bishop of Georgia, who opened the moment of silence, said via the Hill, The world is a better place because John Lewis spent his life pursuing freedom, justice, opportunity, love, and peace for all of humanity. Lewis, a civil rights leader, passed away on Friday and served for over three decades in the House. Now stay tuned with my interview with Texas Senator Ted Cruz on why he thinks communities will be ill-served if the police is defunded. Plus, we talked about why China sanctioned him. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. I'm very honored to be joined on the Daily Signal podcast by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Senator Cruz, it's great to have you back on with us. Rachel, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us. So to start off, China announced earlier this week sanctions against you and several other officials in the country for, quote, interfering in China's internal affairs. Senator Cruz, can you tell us what's going on here? Well, sure. Earlier this week, I went to bed, went to sleep, and and when I woke up, I, I, I used my cell phone as my alarm clock, and so I picked up the phone and looked at it. The first thing I had was four or five texts all of which told me that while I was sleeping, that the, that the government of, of China, the communist government of China, had formally sanctioned me and, and, and had banned me uh, from traveling to China. And, and I have to admit, I, I, I laughed out loud when I read that. Uh, I, I view that as a, a badge of honor. Um, when it comes to China, the Chinese communist government, they are murderers, they are liars, they are torturers, they have over 1 million Uyghurs right now in concentration camps in China where they are being oppressed. That They have brutal and inhuman policies such as the one-child policy that they enforce through forced sterilization and forced abortions. They engage in massive human rights cover-ups, including their censorship and cover-up of, of the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, China, which, which, which the cover-up of the Chinese Communist uh, government is a direct cause of the over 500,000 people who have died worldwide from this pandemic. And, and, and let me say also, you, you, you know, we're now at a, at a point in time when a lot of politicians in Washington are suddenly discovering that the Chinese government, uh, the, the Communist government in China is bad. Uh, I, I got to say, I, I have been a leading China hawk uh, for the entire eight years I've served in the Senate, uh, laying out the danger that, that I believe 
China poses the single greatest geopolitical threat to the United States for the next century. And there were an awful lot of politicians in Washington, both Democrats, but also a lot of Republicans uh, who argued on the other side, who said there wasn't a threat from China, said the Chinese leadership was great and we should embrace them and become even more dependent on them. And, 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 and I got to say, I'm, I'm glad that a lot of those are opening their eyes and, and coming over. There's a reason why China singled me out for these sanctions, uh, because they're scared of American leadership standing up to their threat, but that, that only underscores the need to do so even more. Well, given that, how do you think the United States can hold China accountable? Well, I think it needs to be a multi-pronged strategy. I've introduced about a dozen different pieces of legislation focusing on different aspects of it. Focusing on, number one, let's focus on the coronavirus pandemic. China bears enormous responsibility. It bears enormous responsibility for the cover-up and even potentially before that, potentially for the origination of this virus. There were two different virology labs in Wuhan, China, both of which we now know were studying coronaviruses. They were studying coronaviruses derived from bats. The particular bats they were studying, the closest natural population is over 900 miles away in China. And, 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 I think, and we also know that the State Department, last year there were multiple wires raising serious concerns about the security protocols in these Chinese government labs and in particular, raising the threat, the risk that because their security was so shoddy, there was a risk of them triggering a global pandemic of a coronavirus that could escape. Uh, I think we need absolutely clear accountability. We need to go in with a forensic effort to, number one, determine every single step of China's culpability, of their responsibility, we also know in December when, when heroic Chinese whistleblowers and physicians tried to blow the whistle, tried to point out this outbreak was occurring, the Chinese government went and arrested those whistleblowers. They silenced them, they punished them, and they made a deliberate decision not to act as a responsible government, not to send in public health officials and quarantine those who were affected. If they'd have done that, there's a very real possibility this could have remained as a limited regional outbreak instead of a global pandemic, but instead they cynically risked the lives of millions across the globe. We need a careful accounting of that, and we need real consequences and responsibility. On a totally different aspect of the problem, economically, our vulnerability to the supply chain, to critical infrastructure that's been drawn into China. Let's take, for example, medical equipment, PPE, pharmaceuticals. The Chinese Communist government systematically targeted that vital industry in the United States, engaged in economic warfare, drove out of business much of our domestic production. We're now incredibly dependent on Communist China for antibiotics, for, for cancer drugs, for Alzheimer's drugs, uh, for, for all sorts of, of, of vital medical equipment. And right in the midst of this pandemic, one Chinese government-controlled state newspaper explicitly threatened to cut off pharmaceuticals to the United States uh, as a tool of economic warfare. Now, if they would do that, that's actually not economic warfare. That's actual warfare. That is literally threatening the lives of millions of Americans who depend upon these medicines. I think it's completely unacceptable. 
that we are dependent upon the, the whims of the Chinese communist leadership. So, so I'm fighting for legislation to create strong tax incentives to move that manufacturing back to the United States, the critical infrastructure, the pharmaceuticals, so that we don't have the lives of Americans subject to the whim uh, of communist dictators who are trying to defeat the United States of America. What about your colleagues in the Senate? Are you uh, happy with how they've responded to these threats from China, or do you see that there is more need to be done, and how would you uh, encourage them to go about that? So I think there's a great deal more that, that needs to be done. Um, I do think people's eyes are, are opening up uh, more significantly, but, but, but the comprehensiveness of the threat uh, is still something we're just beginning to grapple with. And, and, and I think the most far-reaching consequence of this global pandemic is going to be a fundamental reassessment of the United States' relationship uh, with China. Uh, that includes things like, like rare earth minerals and materials. I have another bill I've introduced, the Ore Act, because a great many rare earth it, it minerals, China did the same thing they did to pharmaceuticals. They targeted U.S. production of it. They, they bankrupted it, drove it out of business, and we depend upon it for national security, for critical defense tools, for technology. We need to be bringing that back. Um, Chinese censorship, which is an enormous problem, both in China but also here. Hollywood willingly censors American movies because they want access to the Chinese market. So, for example, the new sequel to Top Gun that was supposed to be coming out later this year, um, the back of Maverick's jacket. In the original movie, there was a Taiwanese flag and a Japanese flag on the back of his jacket. Hollywood happily edited them out because the Chinese overlords demanded them. I've introduced legislation called the Script Act that what it does is, is restricts access to federal government assets. A whole lot of movies use things like, like military ships, military jets, military uh, tanks or, 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 or equipment to film their movies. And what the Script Act says is, is listen, if you want access to federal government hard assets, then, then you have to agree not to let the Chinese government censor your film. And, and, and so I think fighting these issues across the board is important. And, you know, Rachel, I'll note, last fall in October, uh, I, I traveled to Asia, and, and, and I went to Pearl Harbor and Japan and Taiwan and India and Hong Kong. And, and it was very much designed as really a, a friends and allies tour of major allies of America all surrounding China, went all around China. The entire focus of the trip was dealing with the threat of communist China in Hong Kong, I met with, with the protesters. Some 2 million protesters came to the streets of Hong Kong fighting for liberty. And, and, and I, I met with them, many of them, you know, young teenagers risking their lives to stand up for freedom. I, I did one of the Sunday shows by satellite back in the United States. And I, I dressed in all black in solidarity with the protesters because the protesters dressed in all black when they protested. I think highlighting this and understanding the scope and breadth and depth of it, the Chinese government is waging a thousand-year war. That's what they're trying to do. We need to be serious and level-headed and clear-eyed in defending ourselves against that threat. Well, switching gears just a little bit here, something that you have been vocal about is your concerns about the defund the police movement. What is your perspective yes. on this movement, and how would you characterize it? Well, I think today's Democratic Party 
has really released the angriest and craziest and most extreme left-wing voices in their party. And I got to say, once you've opened Pandora's box, it's very hard to close it again. If I would have suggested to you a month ago that Democrats would be advocating for abolishing the police, people would have laughed and ridiculed that and said, oh, come, come now, that, that can't possibly be serious. That, 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 that's, nobody would propose that. And yet, sadly, we're seeing more and more uh, elected officials embracing that radical extreme ideology. We've got Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, who's advocating for cutting $1 billion from the New York Police Department, even while their crime rate is skyrocketing and their murder rate is skyrocketing. I think defunding the police or abolishing the police is profoundly dangerous. I think it is foolish. I think it is a radical idea. And I also think it is racist because those who are advocating this, their mantra is Black Lives Matter. And listen, as a, as a statement of values, that is absolutely correct. Yes, absolutely, Black Lives Matter. And if you abolish the police, if you defund the police, you know to an absolute certainty that more black lives will be lost, more African-American women and children and innocents living in high-crime neighborhoods. More of them will be murdered. More of them will be assaulted. More of them will be subject to sexual assault. And, and, and it is a dangerous and, 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 and bigoted approach to say these vulnerable communities, we're going to pull the cops out of there and leave you to be victims of violent crime. I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. What is your perspective as well on this, on how lawmakers and others, state and local leaders, have responded to all these pushes across the country? What can and then what needs to be done? Well, unfortunately, there, there are too many elected politicians who are standing with and facilitating and encouraging the angry mob. We have seen tragically mobs burning our cities. We've seen violent rioters attacking innocent citizens, uh, firebombing police cars, looting and, and destroying small businesses, many of which are owned by African-Americans or Hispanics in the inner city, murdering police officers. And, 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 and this is wrong. I, I have been calling upon and working with state and local law enforcement to stop it, to make clear Everyone has a right to protest. Everyone has a right to speak and to speak freely, but you don't have a right to engage in violence. You don't have a right to hurt anybody else. You don't have a right to murder anybody else. You don't have a right to destroy anybody else's home or anybody else's business. And if you do that, law enforcement needs to put you in jail for a very long time. Sadly, though, we see politicians on the left who, who, who have determined it is in their political interest to stand with the rioters and, and the looters and, and, and the murderers. And, and, and it is wrong. You, you look at Minneapolis. Minneapolis, in, in the wake of the horrific killing of George Floyd, the riots there destroyed over 700 buildings in the city of Minneapolis. Much of that violence was spearheaded by Antifa, a terrorist organization that has infiltrated what were peaceful protests and turn them into violent riots instead. Um, I've introduced in the Senate legislation that, that, that allows any individual American, if you have elected officials that, that, that have ordered the police to withdraw, that, that, that have allowed a lawless zone or a lawless territory to be created, that, 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 that 
results in the destruction of property or the harming of individual uh, Americans that allows you to sue those elected officials who made the decision to wrongfully deprive you of your civil rights and for political reasons, remove police protections from vulnerable neighborhoods. Well, lastly, Senator Cruz, you're very passionate about initiatives, speaking about clean energy initiatives that would, in the long run, harm the economy. And so can you just address, uh, I know you've talked about it in the past, you know, people talk and say these things are good, but then there are very um, serious implications down the road. Well, much like uh, the Democratic Party has unleashed the extreme abolish the police voices, it's also unleashed the extreme environmental left, where the Green New Deal that was initially proposed by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would cost $93 trillion. Now, now it's hard sometimes for people to put numbers in scope and, and relative scale. So here's one way of thinking about it. $93 trillion is more money than the United States government has spent in the entire history of our country. Going back to the days of George Washington, if you add up every government expenditure, including the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, and World War II, that all adds up to less than $93 trillion. And the proposal of AOC that's now being embraced by many mainstream Democrats, or supposedly mainstream Democrats, is a staggering expense that would result in dramatic taxes that would just cripple working families, destroying manufacturing jobs across this country, destroying blue-collar jobs across this country, destroying energy jobs across this country. The last several years, we have seen an energy renaissance in the United States, and it's driven by the technological advances that have allowed us to develop far more resources fracking, the shale revolution, oil and gas resources that's driven down the cost of energy and has produced millions of high-paying jobs. And what is now being proposed is to destroy those jobs. And, and I got to say, I just think that is fundamentally wrong. I recognize that that would please the billionaire donors in New York City and San Francisco. But I think we ought to be standing with the working men and women, with the steel workers in Ohio, with the truck drivers, with, with, with the waiters and waitresses and single moms and, and the men and women with calluses on their hands. And, and the proposal of the Democrats on energy is just to bankrupt those blue-collar jobs, to put them out of business, and, and also to put out of business a lot of manufacturing jobs because the low-cost energy that American innovation has produced in the last few years has enabled us to bring manufacturing jobs back from China, back from Mexico, back from countries across the the world back to the United States, but yet the current proposals being debated would, would result in those blue-collar jobs being eliminated. I think that's wrong, and, and, and my view on energy is, is we should, should pursue all of the above. I'm for every energy source, whether oil, gas, or coal, or nuclear, or solar, or wind, or biofuels. You name it, we should have all of them, but it shouldn't be Washington bureaucrats picking winners and losers. It shouldn't be the corrupt Washington process do it. Instead, it should be the innovation and creativity of the market moving forward and driving more jobs, more opportunity, higher wages, driving our economy forward. Well, Senator Cruz, thank you so much for joining us today on the Daily Signal podcast. It's been great to have you back on. It, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. 
And that will do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. Please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts and give us your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.